Well, we are continuing. We're back in Ruth this week. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 3. Um, so you can find that printed for you in your bulletin, Ruth chapter 3. So I came across an article this week entitled, NASA Considers Puncturing Yellowstone Supervolcano to Save Life on Earth. This is not, this is not fake news. Um, evidently, if a volcano like the one that is a super volcano, like the one that is underneath Yellowstone, actually erupted, it would be devastating. In fact, the article says it would trigger a collapse of the global agricultural and economic systems and result in the deaths of potentially millions of people. So think about that when you go to Yellowstone. So, so NASA scientists evidently are working on this plan to keep the volcano from erupting by drilling into to some chamber. I don't know which chamber they're going to. They're they're thinking about this. If they could plan into the, they could drill into this chamber and somehow inject enough water, it would cool off the volcano and keep it from erupting. Um, but to, to keep all, to, as they do, they have to be careful because if they fracture rock while they're doing this, that would in itself cause an eruption. Uh, and so they have to, they would actually have to go underneath the volcano and come from the bottom up somehow. And anybody want to guess what they think this would cost? $3.5 billion. I mean, it's kind of a bargain, really, to save humanity. But... Um, <laughs> The odds, the odds that it would erupt this year are 1 in 730,000. Those don't seem as steep as I would like them to be. Like, I would like a few more zeros after that number. Um, So, the thing about things going on in the world today, we've got a volcano that could erupt and just kill us all. Our NASA could kill us all trying to keep the volcano from erupting. Uh, We've got crazy people in control of nuclear weapons. We've got racial tension in our country that, that feels at least like it's higher than it's been in a long time. And so we've got all these stressors around us. But to be honest, we tend to kind of put those big things kind of out of sight, out of mind. We think about them for a minute. And they're like, oh, well, that's probably not going to happen. I'm not, I can't do anything about that anyway. We've got enough urgent stuff pressing in on us. We got crying babies that won't go to sleep at night. We're trying to get a new career off the ground or, or trying to find a new job. We're, we're battling sickness or we've got marriage problems or, or we've got, you know, we just have stressors in our own personal lives coming from five different directions at once. So, in the middle of all that, what I want to ask is, is in the middle of all of that, where do we find rest? And I don't just mean physical rest, but but mental and emotional and spiritual rest. And how can we then be the people, the kind of people, who help others to find rest as well? That's what we're going to think about this morning uh, as we look at Ruth chapter 3. So let me read this and you guys follow along with me. Uh, Ruth chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. 
Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went to the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you that it points us to your Redeemer in whom we can find rest. And so, Father, I pray that that we would grasp something of that today and that we would uh, enter into this rest that you promise us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, chapter 3 begins and ends with rest. Uh, In verse 1, Naomi says, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? And then at the very end of the chapter, uh, we read this, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until this matter is, is taken care of. And so as we look at this this morning again, I just, I just want to ask, where do we find rest? And how can we help others around us to find rest as well? Let me make sure everybody's kind of up on the story. It's been a couple weeks since we looked at this. Uh, The book of Ruth begins with a man named Elimelech journeying with his wife Naomi and their sons to the country of Moab in search of food because there's a famine in Israel. Uh, While they're in Moab, Elimelech dies, his sons marry Moabite wives, and then the two sons die. Uh, Naomi, who's now a widow, hears that the famine is over in Israel, so she decides to go back to Israel, and Ruth, one of her daughters-in-law, goes back with her. Now, when they get back, evidently they have land, but they have no ability to farm it. Uh, they couldn't just you know, go get jobs at the, the local Starbucks, and so 
especially as a widow and as a foreign woman, they're in a very precarious situation. So Ruth sets out to do what she can do to provide food uh, for their family. Uh, She goes out and she makes use of what really was an Old Testament safety net where the poor were allowed to go and to glean or to pick up sort of the leftovers in the fields. The farmers were not allowed to go back and kind of take a second swipe. They had to leave what they missed the first time. And they had to leave the borders of their fields unpicked so that the poor, those in need, could come in and gather food uh, for themselves. So Ruth goes out together and it just so happens that she winds up in the field of Boaz, who treats her very generously. Uh, and so Ruth goes home loaded you know, with as many grocery sacks as she can carry uh, and tells Naomi about this. And Naomi says back in chapter 2, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Uh, then in chapter 3, Naomi again, should I not seek rest for you, Ruth? Uh, Naomi wants rest for Ruth. She, and what is, she, what is she saying in this? Uh, she wants Ruth to know the, the peace, uh, the security, the, the prosperity, hopefully the children that come along from, from being married, from having a husband. And she thinks that Boaz is just the man for this job. But but Ruth is a foreigner. She is a Moabite. They weren't looked on very kindly in Israel. Uh, she's going to be a woman proposing to a man. She's going to be a field worker proposing to her boss. A, a younger woman proposing to someone older. And so there's a chance that just like this goes horribly wrong, uh, that, that she's rejected. You know, all kind of things could happen. And so uh, probably just to avoid that potential embarrassment Uh, Naomi tells her to go to Boaz at night. She's to go to the threshing floor where he's winnowing wheat. He's separating the wheat from the chaff. Uh, She's to wait until Boaz has eaten supper and lying down to go to sleep, hopefully in a a good mood. And then she's to go in and and uncover his feet, kind of move the blanket back, and, and lie down next to him. So she does all this, and the text tells us that Boaz wakes up because he's startled. You can also translate that word there, shivered, that his, his feet got cold. They weren't covered. So he woke up to see what was going on, and he finds this woman lying there, which is somewhat surprising to him. He says, who are you? And Ruth responds, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, that echoes what Boaz had actually said back in chapter 2, where he said to Ruth, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so Ruth is, is kind of calling him out. She's like, you, you prayed for God's blessing on me. Now will you become that blessing and marry me? It is a way of proposing marriage uh, by Ruth. Now, <clears throat> I, think, I think I waited to preach this sermon until after my daughter had left town because I didn't want her getting any ideas about how to approach men uh, for marriage. I was, uh, I was telling, I think I was telling Ryan Cleary last week, you know, you got the, uh, 
Find My Friend app on your phones, and you can see where your family members are. And I checked that not more than 20 times a day to see what Emma's doing. It's probably much less than that. But, but, but one of the things that gives me comfort when I look at that is, you know, Susan and I went to Auburn, and so every time I look at that app, I can see that she's, she's near Jordan-Hare Stadium. And for where Auburn plays, and for some strange reason, that gives me comfort because because she's in the shadow of the stadium. It's taken her under its wings. Right, y'all get this illustration, okay? So, so, so this is what Ruth is Ruth is saying: spread your wings over me, uh, be my God-given refuge, marry me. Now. Why did Naomi send Ruth to Boaz? What what does Ruth say here? You're a redeemer. And then Boaz says, you're right, I am a redeemer. And then he uses that word redeem, it seems like about 15 times in, in two sentences. I am a redeemer. When Naomi wanted rest for Ruth, she sent her to your redeemer. Why is that? Well, that's, that's what redeemers do. They redeem things. Well, well what does that mean? Uh, a redeemer was a near relative who was responsible for coming to the aid of a family member in times of need. So some things a redeemer did. Uh, a redeemer, and this is kind of interesting, actually was responsible to track down someone who had murdered a family member, kind of like, uh, what's what her name, Maddie Ross and True Grit. Like, I, I'll go find them and, and take care of justice. That was a redeemer's job. If a family member had to sell themselves into slavery uh, because of economic reasons, a redeemer could go and buy them back out of slavery. If a family member gets in a financial strait and has to sell off property, the redeemer would go and buy back that property to keep it in the family, the land was a really big deal in the Old Testament. Uh, having the land remain in the family was meant to be a symbol of God's blessing on that family. So you have this, this Old Testament idea of redeemer. And another Old Testament role that, that Boaz seems to be fulfilling here as a near relative, although it, it's is, um, not identical, is this role of or fulfill. There's something called Leverite marriage. And in this type of marriage, if a husband died without children, it was his brother's responsibility to marry the widow, uh, hoping that she would now bear children who would carry on the dead man's name so that his name would not be lost and so that he could then inherit the family property. But here's the thing. When Naomi wants rest for Ruth, she sends her to a redeemer. She sends her to a redeemer. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we had somebody like that? Wouldn't it be nice if we had somebody that could ensure our inheritance? Somebody who could buy us back out of slavery. Somebody who could give us a home. Somebody who could marry us and take us under their wing. That's what the Bible's about. Uh, the good news of the New Testament, the good news of the Gospel is that this is what Christ has come to do. All this stuff in the Old Testament is, is pointing forward in different ways to Jesus. All the sacrifices are pointing forward to Jesus coming and offering the one sacrifice that is needed. 
the redeemers in the Old Testament are pointing forward to the redeemer that we need. A redeemer who would come and purchase us by his own blood. Who would purchase for us an eternal inheritance and a heavenly home. A redeemer who would rescue us from slavery and sin and make us his sons and daughters. A redeemer who would make us his bride and cause us to be holy and pure. A redeemer who would come and give us rest. We give us rest. Where are you trying to find rest this morning? Where are you trying to find rest this morning? Uh, you know, oddly enough, a lot of us are trying to find rest by working for it, um, working to make it to the top. So then I can rest. Working to cover my guilt and shame with religious busyness. Working to, to fit in. Working to, to prove to ourselves and to everybody else that, that we're okay. Working to get a significant number of people to like my post on Instagram. Uh, I'm reminded of Lacey who was on a show on Netflix I saw a while back and I've, I've spoken of this before but she lived in this world that was that was ruled by social media where every interaction with every other person was rated and the way you made progress in society was by being higher rated it gave you access to better things if you were rated highly by the people around you and she's currently at a 4.2 and she needs to make it to a 4.5 in order to get into this apartment complex that she wants to live in and at one point in the story she winds up hitching a ride with a trucker who is kind of over the whole thing who has had some some trauma in their life and they're just done with trying to please people they're done with the rating system they they don't care they do what they want to do they say what they want to say they don't care what you think about them and this truck driver is trying to incur Lacey like you really need to, to be more like this you'll be a lot happier And Lacey looks at her and she says, look, you had something with your life, real things, good things, and you lost it all, and I'm sorry. So now, yeah, it's true, you've got nothing to lose, but I don't even have that something worth losing yet. You know, I'm still fighting for that. And the truck driver says, what what is that that you're fighting for? And she says, "I, I don't know. Enough? Enough to be content? Like to look around and think, well, I guess I'm okay. Just to be able to breathe out, not feeling like, oh, and and that's way off. And until I get there, I have to play the game we all do. That's the world we're in. That's how the world works. Working to get enough. Working to be content. Working to fit in. Working to be cool. Working to free ourselves from hidden addictions. Working to secure our future beyond a shadow of a doubt. We're we're working to find rest. We're working, you might say, to redeem ourselves. Um, That's how it works in sports, right? That's what Conor McGregor is going to have to do now. He's going to have to convince Mayweather to come out of retirement so he can come back and beat him next time and redeem himself you, you lose one time you come back and you work hard and then you win the next time and you've redeemed yourself through your work but the gospel says this and this is, this is from an old hymn weary working burdened one wherefore toil you so 
Cease your doing all was done long, long ago. Till to Jesus' work you cling by a simple faith. Doing is a deadly thing. Doing ends in death. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in Him, in Him alone, gloriously complete. See, the, the gospel invites us to come to Jesus and to find rest in His work. To come to Jesus who is the Redeemer. To come to Jesus who alone makes us acceptable, who adopts us into His family, who frees us from our addictions, who begins to bring us to a place of contentment, who secures for us a future, who rules over all things for our good, who forgives our sins, who sees right through us and loves us anyway. At the end of the chapter, Naomi says to Ruth, Boaz will not rest until he takes care of this. That's what we have in Jesus. We have a Redeemer who did not rest and will not rest until we are free, until we are fully free, until until you are home and you're well and you're with Him. Where do I find rest? I find it in the Redeemer. I find it in Jesus. Well, how then, okay, how can I help others to find rest? Well, I point them as best I'm able to. I point them to to Jesus, the Redeemer, in word. But I also point them to Jesus in deed. Uh, Boaz, as Redeemer, is interesting to see what he does. He blesses Ruth. He seeks to calm her fears about what's going on. He tends to her needs. He, He sends grain back with her again. He treats her with dignity. He doesn't he doesn't run her off. He doesn't say, What are you doing here? He makes sure nobody knows she was the heir, so the local gossips don't, you know, start wagging about what really happened on the threshing floor that night. And eventually he does marry her. He he loves her well. Now, we're not called to marry everyone, obviously, but in the different stations and relationships that we're in in life where God has placed us we help people to find rest by blessing them by speaking words of peace to them in the middle of their fears by meeting their felt needs by affirming their dignity as those made in the image of Jesus and by pointing them to Jesus and as we do those things as we point people to Jesus, we help them to rest. Uh, some of you guys remember Brandon and Virginia Hagopian who are part of our congregation for, for, for a long time. They've moved now. But while they were here, Virginia had ongoing, strange, and, and really very serious health situations going on. And, and you guys rallied around that family and, and cared for them in a multitude of ways and that helped them to rest, even in the midst of all that. Uh, many of you now are, are taking Joel and Helen food. You've, you've signed up to help get their boys to school. You've prayed for them. You've prayed with them. You're, you're helping them to rest. So let me commend you for that. And let me encourage you to, to continue to look for those sorts of things, those sorts of avenues 
to help those around you find rest. Uh, Husbands, let me ask you this. What are you doing to help your wife find rest? Are you making the home a place where she's affirmed? Where she's cherished? Where she hears words of peace and not words of quarreling? Where she knows she has the protection of you having spread your wings over her? Is, is that the kind of house, the kind of environment that, that your actions are producing? Are you and your words and your deeds bringing rest to your family and pointing your family to the one who brings ultimate rest in Jesus? Well, how do we do this? How can we be those who bring rest? Doesn't it take a lot of work to help other people rest? I mean, isn't it, isn't it kind of tiring to help people rest? When I get burdened by that, you will. And so the only way you can actually enter into that on a regular basis without just being turned off by it and giving up on it is if you are turning over your burdens to Jesus. Look, if, 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 if I've got a 100-pound backpack that I'm carrying around, I'm probably not going to stop and help you try to carry your 50-pound backpack. I'm just I'm not going to be able to help you. But if I'm learning to give that backpack over to Jesus, if He is lightening my burdens, then I can come alongside of you and take on some of your burden in order to give you rest. Well, I, I want to close with two pictures um, to show you kind of, and I just want you to think about these, one of them shows kind of the effect of not resting in Jesus, and one of them, someone who is. Uh, you guys remember the, most of you, the, the financial collapse of 2008. Uh, the, the story is told of a, a very wealthy and powerful bank that basically had to sell itself to J.P. Morgan Chase for, for $2 a share because things got so bad. And the story is told that that CEO wound up standing in Starbucks. This powerful man standing in Starbucks just weeping as he waited on his coffee. And that's probably kind of tame compared to some of the things that happened. Uh, People, the suicide rate spiked during that collapse. Some of you may even know people who took their own life during that time. And so there's, there's one picture of the way people handle adversity. I want you to contrast that with with Ben Edwards. Uh, Ben Edwards was the former CEO of A.G. Edwards, and he retired in 2001, and his company, his former company, was sold to Wachovia in 2008. And even though he's retired, he thought this was a horrible thing for them to do, and he posed it. And then what was left of his company basically fell apart when Wachovia melted down, and he lost... This retirement lost a ton of his personal wealth, his personal estate. What was his reaction? His reaction was, I'm the most blessed man I know. I'm the most blessed. I just lost, like, almost, I'm the most blessed man I know. He wasn't standing in Starbucks crying. He wasn't jumping off a building. But he's saying, I'm the most blessed man that I know why. Why was he able to say that? Because Ben Edwards was a Christian. He had heard about a redeemer, a redeemer who had purchased for him a better inheritance than anything he had in his savings account. And he had learned to find rest 
in that Redeemer. Have you found that rest? You can find it in Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we, uh, we, we really do work so hard to try to get to a place of rest. When you, you offer it to us freely in Christ. Uh, so, so help us to, to lay our deadly doing down. And to rest in Jesus. And to give our burdens over to Him. And as we learn to do that, may that indeed make us people who are able to come alongside others. And bear their burdens. And point them to Jesus that they might have rest as well. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.